Thank you so much, Logan, and all of you for being here tonight. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, Chapter 9. And as you find your place there, I just want to tell you, I, I feel doubly blessed to be here more than once in the year. And not only that, but twice in a row. Last Sunday morning, we started off a, a long safari together that started here at Claremont, went all the way over to Verdugo Pines Bible Camp. And with the boys, I tell you what, the, uh, the boys were unrelenting, weren't they? They were just so enthusiastic from the beginning all the way through the end. And I kept thinking, we're going to lose them any minute now. But they stayed alert and they followed. And some came to trust the Lord as their very own personal Savior. And I tell you, it was a great week. And the staff was amazing. And uh, uh, from the... Uh, from from David's part all the way to each one of the cabin leaders, I, would, I have to say, and I think we all agreed anonymously, that it was, did I say anonymously? <laughs> Unanimously. <laughs> Just checking to see if you're still awake out here. It was the best camp week I think I've ever experienced, and all of us agree, and it, it was indeed unanimous. Here we are in the Word of God, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. And I'm just going to read through verse 28, just two verses, and then I hope you have a pencil and a paper because we've got some verses we're going to look at. Everyone gets to stay awake tonight because I'm going to keep you busy turning in your Bible. So here we are in Matthew chapter 9, verse 27 and 28, where we read, When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. And that's going to be our theme. Do you believe that I am able? And if I were to put a title over the message that we're looking at tonight, it would be those three words. He is able, and we trust that the Lord will bless his word to our hearts. Let's pray once more together. Father, how thankful we are as we open your word once again together tonight in your presence, and the question is before us, do you believe that I am able to do this? And Lord, we agree with these two men. Yes, Lord, we believe that you are able. Help us to appreciate the greatness of your person and the joy of knowing you as our personal Savior tonight, we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He is able. I've made, if you don't mind, just a little simple search through the New Testament looking for that one statement, he is able, and I found seven different aspects of the great power of God, and I'd like to share those with you tonight, starting not in a chronological order, but starting in an order that will help us to be able to get a good handle on. And so we come away knowing, all of us, completely convinced that he is able. Let's start over in the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, verse 25. And the seven things that he is able to do, I'd like to start it with salvation. He is able to save. So in Hebrews, chapter 7, verse 25, that's where we find that statement and that great declaration, he is able to save, and you read it in 
Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. I got to give you a credit right up front. You're faster getting to your Bible reference than the boys at camp. So uh, we're going to save some time tonight, and we're going to really work through these seven things. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he ever lives to make intercession for them. And so we read that he's able to save to the uttermost, but let's not start at the uttermost. That's where we're going to finish up. Let's start at the point of salvation. As one preacher down south used to say, he's able to save from the guttermost to the uttermost. And that's really going from the mire to the choir, isn't it? As they used to sing. So just think about it for a moment. From the guttermost to the uttermost, because the psalmist, he wrote in the book of Psalms, Psalm 40, these words. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock he established my goings and has put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and trust in the Lord. Here's a nice little outline on those two verses. The believer in Christ has been brought up, set up, kept up, and tuned up to sing God's praise. Huh? That's really what he has done in our hearts. He put a new song within us when we realize what he saved us from, but also what he saved us to. Think for a moment further and hold, uh, well, you can leave your place there, but let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Even on this same theme of the great salvation, he being able to save us, over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 9 and 10. I had a little conversation this afternoon that reminded me of these two verses, and I'd like to mention those because the salvation he has given to us is a full salvation. And we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, more of what he has saved us from, and this is what Paul writes. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Now notice this, verse 10, the three tenses of salvation who delivered us from so great a death, that's past tense, and does deliver us, that's present tense, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us, that's future tense. And in a very simple way, most evangelists will lay it out so well for us that when he delivered us from so great a death, that's past, that's from sin and its penalty and does deliver us, that's present tense, that's speaking of sin and its power, and then in the future, and that he will still deliver us, that's speaking of sin in the future from its very presence and being able to love him with unsinning heart. What will it be? It'll be wonderful, but just think, we have a full salvation Delivering us from sin and its penalty by his death, he died for us. Delivering us from sin and its power, he lives for us. And that's what we're reading. He is able to save to the uttermost because he ever lives to make intercession for us. Saving us right now. But just think, one day we will be saved. That doesn't mean we're not saved now. Oh, yes. Three-tenths salvation. He will yet deliver us. When? 
when he comes again and he delivers us from the very presence of sin and takes us right into glory. I tell you, we have a wonderful Savior, don't we? Save to the uttermost and all who come to him. How would you describe the great salvation we have? Well, Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians these words. Eye has not seen, neither has the ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. Yet by his spirit, he has revealed them to us, but only in such a small glimpse of what he has in store for us. You know, anywhere you're standing as a believer, you can look ahead to the future. It's bright and know that the very best is still ahead. And he has gone to prepare a place for us. And when we see that place, we'll be amazed. But something that far exceeds the place itself is the Savior who will be there. I was talking with Brother Russ earlier about Yosemite. We are so jealous you get to go to Yosemite. Now, I know not everybody's going, but I was just thinking of what a neat place that is. Uh, you know, when I heard Yosemite, you won't believe how beautiful it is. I thought, well, I've seen a lot of places. But it is amazing. And so I was just thinking uh, earlier this week, all of you getting ready to go, and you know, maybe we could go another time of year. I said, nah. It's not the same without the saints, and you know that's true, isn't it? How about heaven? I mean, we talk about all the things in heaven just reading the book of Revelation. It wouldn't be the same if we just went to the place without the Savior there. Really, Jesus is what makes heaven heaven, and then when you add all of the saints, you don't look too excited. No, it's going to be wonderful because we're going to be perfect there. And uh, we'll spend eternity together with each other and together with the Lord forever. He is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God by him. Look also in your Bible to the little book of Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul is at the end of his life, his last letter that he writes that we have in the scriptures writing to young Timothy, and it's like kind of a, a closing letter of his life. So his last words carry, they seem to carry more weight for us. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, I'd like you to notice verse 12. Before I read verse 12, he not only is able to save, speaking of salvation, but here we're going to read that he is able to keep that which we've committed unto him, and that's the security he will keep us, and he'll never lose us. The Apostle Paul, when he met the Lord as Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, he had one question, who are you, Lord? And that question, as we had a little study for devotions with the cabin leaders last week, became not just a question, but the quest of his life. He wanted to know the Lord better. He writes in Philippians, that I may know him. And in his quest, he got to know the Lord better and better in many different ways, through the power of his resurrection, through the sufferings of his life, and in every way, he comes to the end of his life, and this is what he writes in 2 Timothy 1, verse 12. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, now nevertheless means all the more. I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able 
to keep what I have committed to him until that day. You can have doubts about a lot of things of ourselves and even doubts about a lot of things in others, but you can never have a doubt about who the Lord is and his power and ability to save us and to keep us. He is able to keep what we commit to him. Amen to that. You know, even through the Gospel of John, think of these words. I'll just mention to you a few verses. John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. That's a good security verse, isn't it? Not only that, John 6, 47. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, I love this, has everlasting life. You know, the boys at camp, a few of them would come up and they would try to ask questions about the eternality of God. Now, we're talking 9, 10, 11 years old. Huh? They want to know about the eternality of God. Well, they didn't say it that way. The way they said it was, who created God? And I said, well, no one created God. He's always been here. You get this little awkward silence, you know, when you make a statement like that. And I, the only thing I could think is, just think, when you know the Lord is your personal Savior, the same way he's been here forever, you're going to live forever with him. And it seemed like a light came on, huh? Eternality in the past, he's always been here. Eternality in the future, we'll always be with him. That's what everlasting life means. You know, some people think I'm only saved until I sin again. I said, that's not salvation, that's probation. We have salvation. He said, whoever believes has everlasting life. And that goes on forever. We're safe, you remember in John 10, 28, in the Savior's hand. He said, no one can snatch you out of my hand. We're safe, he says, all that the Father has given me, no one can take us out of the Father's hand. I love verse 20 of John 10. I and the Father are one. Hmm? Safe am I. Safe am I in the hollow of his hand. Think of it. He'll never give us up. He'll keep us forever because he is able to keep what we've committed to him until that day. Turn again to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And as we just put these together, he's able to save. He's able to keep. We grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. Did you ever imagine how wonderful the grace of God would be? I mean, I read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 for three months before I trusted the Lord as my Savior. It was printed right on the side of the church building where I heard the gospel. And for those three months, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And I knew that it was God's grace that saved me when I put my trust in him. I thought that was amazing, and it is. But do you know his grace just gets bigger and bigger and bigger? Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, these words, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things 
have an abundance for every good work. Just think about it for a moment. God's grace just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. You remember in Romans chapter 5, that's the much more chapter, you know. He not only has saved us from his wrath, much more he saved us by his life, and much more he saved us to proclaim, and much more he saved us to reign. It's all in Romans chapter 5, and when you get to Romans chapter 5, verse 20, you know what it is, don't you? Where sin abounded, grace abounded. How? Much more. And here he says that God is able to make grace abound, and it meets our every need, and it speaks of the sufficiency of God, the sufficiency of his grace, and he is able to make that grace abound so that we have no lack, whatever the need may be. I was reading up on, a, on a, the one who wrote, he giveth more grace, Annie Johnson Flint, and I've always appreciated the words, but reading her story, it was pretty amazing. Do you know, when she was born, I think her mother died when she was the age of three. Her father, also sick, gave her to be adopted to someone else in the Flint family. And then in no time, it seems like just a few years, they also passed away. And then after she had finished school, began a teaching career, if I understand right, in just a few short years, the arthritis she had was so bad she was an invalid for the rest of her life. Listen to the words that she wrote about grace. Now, if somebody who was in the prime of life and health and strength wrote these words, we would appreciate them, but not like we do knowing the author. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy to multiplied trials his multiplied peace. The chorus, as we often sing, is this. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Listen to the last verse. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength is failed, ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. He is able to make all grace abound toward us. What a great God we have. There is none like him, and we find out more and more about him, and we're amazed, standing amazed. Now, I know we sang, I stand amazed in the presence, but most of us, we weren't standing on his promises. We were sitting in the premises, and uh, we sang it sitting down. That's, that's a hard one, huh? And, but, you know, we do stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene, and it's all by his marvelous grace. Turn once again to the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. He is able to save us. He is able to keep us. He is able to make all grace abound toward us. Salvation, security, sufficiency. Now we come to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 18. Hebrews 2 verse 18. Here we read of another 
part of the greatness of our Savior. And it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, speaking of his work on our behalf, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Now, I'd just like to clarify a little something, and that is the word tempted is sometimes translated that way. Other times it's translated tested. And so we want to be very careful what we understand when we read words like he being tempted. It would be better translated he being tested. You see, when usually we use the word temptation, we're only thinking in regards to sin or iniquity. But here when he speaks about being tempted, it really is that he is tested because the Son of God, according to the book of James, being God cannot be tempted with evil, nor does he tempt anyone with evil. But he has gone through testing. In fact, the scripture says he was tested in all points like as we, yet without sin. In other words, outside of the realm of sin, sin was never any temptation for him. But he was tested in all points as we are, just with the human experience. He thirsted, he hungered, he felt pain, he suffered greatly, he knew sorrow in every way he was tested as we are, but in every point, none of us are tested that way, are we? Compared to him, we see him tested. Then when we encounter any kind of testing or temptation on our level, he is able to come to our aid because he's experienced more than what we ever will. And so we read concerning his testing that it has qualified him to come to our aid and he is able to deliver us and he is able to come to our aid no matter if we're tested, even if we're tempted, and we always come out, if we put our trust in him, triumphant. He says, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape. All you have to do is take it. So I had a call not long ago and somebody said, now, you know, I understand there's testing and there's temptation. How do I know which one it is? I said, well, that's easy. It's all dependent on how you respond to it. <laughs> if you're tempted and you fall, it didn't come from the Lord. <laughs> it came from these three enemies we have, the world, the flesh, and the devil. But temptation into sin never came from the Lord. But when we're tested and we come through with flying colors, it's all because of the greatness of his power because he comes to our aid when we call upon him. Let me take you to another verse. He not only is able to give us the strength that we need, he is able to aid us. He's a very present help in time of trouble, testing. But turn to your Bible to the little book of Jude. Somebody said, Jude's such a good book, you can read any chapter in it. So in the book of Jude, chapter 1, look at verses 24 and 25. Some of you remember the great ministry of August Van Rijn, 
and his two sons, Elliot and Carol Van Rijn. Well, the next generation, Keith Van Rijn was a good friend of mine, and years ago he asked me about these verses. He said, Rex, what do you think about Jude 1, 24 and 25? I knew the verses, I said, oh, those are great verses, I claim them often. And he said, you know, they're a conditional promise. And it really caught me off guard. Think of it as I read. In Jude chapter 1, verse 24, he says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So I'll just pause there for a moment. And as he quoted that verse to me, Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling, he said, you know, it's not a, an unconditional promise. There's a condition. You have to trust him. And for us to go through life and think, you know, zippity-doo-dah, zippity-day, wonderful feeling, wonderful day, that's not even practical Christianity, is it? If we trust him, then he's able. And how much is he able to do? He can keep us from stumbling. In other words, he, he gives us the stability in life that we need. And he's able to do that if we trust him. What would you say to a God like that? Well, verse 25 says it all. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. And it's so, and it's true. He is able to keep us from stumbling and give us the stability we need to walk the Christian life. You know, he says... Nothing wavering. We start out on the Christian life and we're way up here. And in a few days, we're way down here. And then we're up again and down again. Eventually, those extents seem to level out and we get the consistent Christian life. That's what he's able to give us, walking by faith, step by step, and day by day as we've been singing. But I have another verse for you. You've been waiting for this verse all night. I know you have. It's the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. It's the verse that we often quote, and everybody quotes it a little different. So we're going to uh, come to an agreement here on Ephesians, chapter 3, verse 20. He not only is able to save for salvation, able to keep for security, able to aid for strength, and able to make all grace abound for sufficiency, able to keep us from falling for stability, but I love Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It's part of a section that really uses superlatives, those super expressions, like over in verse 8, I who am less than the least. That's a superlative statement, because if you're the least, you can't be any less, but Paul says, I'm less than the least. I'm sure his grammar teacher had a hard time with him, huh? And then he says, I'm going to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ in verse 8. And then in verse 10, he said, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be seen in the church. Uh, one time I was out on the, on the airstrip in Africa. It's a grassy airstrip that grows tall elephant grass. And we had a mower that we attached to a Fiat tractor, a 1940 Fiat. And uh, these things are, are antiquities, I tell you. In fact, the starter in the Fiat had died long ago. And so we would perch the Fiat tractor up on a hill, 
and we'd get some of the young fellows to push us down the hill, pop the clutch, and we'd start. And the idea was to keep the tractor running for about five hours while we mowed the grassy airstrip. Now, the airstrip was about two and a half miles from the mission station. If you died on the way in the tractor, you were stuck. So I got out there, and I was mowing the tall elephant grass, some of it six, seven, eight feet tall. You, could, you couldn't even see, or just pushing it down and mowing it as I go. And I hit an, an anthill that was about three feet up, and I couldn't even see it. It was like brick dirt. And when it hit, it shuddered, and the blade stopped dead, and the shear pin went, and the tractor stopped dead. Two and a half miles from the station, I walked all the way back and got the old Ford pickup. Jumper cables, I know you're on the edge of your seats here. And I pulled up to the tractor right in the middle of the airstrip. I had a crowd of about two or 300 African boys and girls around me watching. It looked like surgery was about to take place. I popped the hood off the tractor, opened the hood of the Ford, attached the battery cables, and I went over and attached the tractor, and I jumped up and hit the starter button. You know what happened, it started. Jumped off the tractor, started rolling up the cables, and I heard one of the teenagers say, absolute wisdom. Akili Kabisa, absolute wisdom. I said, ah, oh, it's really nothing. You know, sometimes we think about the manifold wisdom of God, and the simplest things that he does is astounding. We are just amazed, like that young fellow, absolute wisdom just to see you jump off a truck or a tractor. We haven't seen anything yet. And yet, God has chosen to make known his wisdom, can you believe it? Through people like us that make up the church. And who's he teaching these lessons to anyway? Only the angels and the myriads in glory. It is a superlative statement, isn't it? Verse 10, the manifold wisdom of God. Not only that, verse 11 speaks of the eternal purpose. Now, if it's got a purpose, it can't be eternal, and yet this goes on and on and on. The purposes of God, the further you get out, the bigger they get. And then in verse 12, we have boldness and access with confidence. It's amazing, isn't it, that we could even come into the presence of God. We feel like we ought to just crawl in or sneak in unawares. He says, come on in. With that kind of confidence, we have access to him. And then in verse 19, he says, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Is that not a superlative statement? To know something that's unknowable, incomprehensible. And then he says in verse 19, filled with all the fullness of God. Huh? One little girl said, Lord, fill me with yourself. I can't hold much, but I can overflow a whole lot. Huh? And that's the idea, isn't it? Filled with all the fullness of God. How do you top all these superlatives? Well, I think verse 20 tops them all. Now, some people read it in their translation. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly. Other people read it. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundant. I like the New King James just to relieve all doubt. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. I wonder what the Amplified Bible could do to turn up the sound on that. <laughs> I mean, how much bigger could you get? 
William McDonald in his excellent commentary, the Believer's Bible Commentary, if you're familiar with what he does with this portion, he makes like a triangle. And here's what he does. He takes each of the phrases and he expands them as it has in this very verse. Let me just walk you through that if you don't mind and catch the fine print. The first line, he is able. The second line, he is able to do. The third line, he is able to do what we ask. Fourth line, he is able to do what we think. It's getting bigger here. He is able to do all that we ask or think. Look at it again. He is able to do above all that we ask or think. But now we're going to really get superlative. You're going to think it's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious any minute now. Because now he expands it even in a greater way. He says he is able to do above, abundantly above that is, all that we ask or think. And to top it all off, verse 20, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. When you read verse 21, can't you just know that the apostle's heart was exploding with glory and praise unto the Lord, for he says, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, and that includes this one, world without end, for it goes forever and ever, and all the people said, amen. Well, we have a great God who is able to do well, he does exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. For what purpose? Well, based on this context, it's the purpose to prepare us, to equip us unto service. And we say, you know, I don't think I'm able to do that. Good. <laughs> because if you're able, he can't help you. But if we say we're not able, then he says, that's the ones I'm looking for. God has chosen a nobody to tell everybody about somebody who cares for anybody. And he's looking for someone who cannot so that he can. And whenever we think we can, we just hinder his work. But when we have no strength, he is able to give us everything we need for service. If you're called on to serve him, don't hesitate. Just trust him and he'll meet you right there. Well, that's six times we've read he is able. We have a, have a perfect uh, seven-point outline here, and we're going to look at the last one. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, you'll notice in verses 20 and 21. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. You know, the Lord Jesus is coming back for us. We don't know when, we just know he's coming. I talk to so many people, and you know, there's so many things happening in the world, and they seem to lose sight of the promise, I will come again. But I want to remind you, he's coming again. I spoke on the Lord's coming a while back in an assembly conference up in the Northeast, and you know, someone said, I don't know how long it's been since I heard a message on the Lord's coming. Don't lose sight of his coming. He's coming again, just as he promised. I even heard someone pray, and you know, if the Lord delays, He's not going to delay. 
He's even said, I will come and I will not tarry. That messes up our announcements sometimes, doesn't it? Next week, if the Lord tarry, whoop, he will not tarry. He may come even before we finish. And in Philippians chapter 3, this is all we have to know as we look to his coming. For it says in Philippians 3.20, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait, that's tiptoe expectancy, for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Do you think it's going to be hard for him to get this whole body of Christ off this world, out of this world and off this earth and up into glory? It's nothing for him. Why? Because he has all the power and the absolute right. God's sovereignty that we often claim, I tell you, we haven't seen anything yet. But in his sovereignty over his creation, he is able to bring all things into subjection by his mighty power, the one who is able. Someone said, you know, do you really believe the rapture? Oh, absolutely, with all our heart. Huh? Sometimes <clears throat> people are filled with doubts just because they're thinking of our little power and of all the greatness of the power. I don't know about you, but when I fly on an airplane, I pray two prayers. Lord, lift us up with your power and then set us down in your tender mercies. And uh, I'm thinking, you know, when we're, I haven't been on a, on a plane that's not full and usually oversold, and I wonder about these carry-on bags that they don't weigh. How much weight is in these things, you know? So while we're going down the runway, I'm thinking, are they going to really be able to lift this up, huh? Now, that's just one little plane. I tried to explain it to the pygmies one time. When we saw a plane go over, I said, you know, there's as many people on that plane as there are at the market here. They said, well, that's not what bothers us, Buana. What really bothers us is we see it there, but we hear it here. You know, there are bigger issues in life, aren't there? And so here's the issue. Will the Lord really be able to change us and lift us up and carry us away as he's promised? Oh, no doubt about it. How do we know that? Well, we have that promise. He is able even to subdue all things to himself. Our sovereign God has no problem bringing all the things that he created into his very subjection, and he will complete it all. Let's go back to the Gospel of Matthew where we started. Matthew chapter 28. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 9, verse 28. Matthew chapter 9, verse 28. I'm thinking about this plane tonight if I ate so much this week. I told Betty and Rick, I said, when I get home, Nancy's going to weigh me. <laughs> I'll have to give an account, and I'll tell her how good everything was. So here we are in the Gospel of Matthew where we started, and we noticed in verse 28, as we read, And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Now, let's just apply it to all the things we've talked about. Salvation, security, strength, sufficiency, stability, service, and sovereignty. 
Do we believe that these all belong to him and that he is able? Well, they said to him, yes, Lord. Don't you love it? The simplicity of just responding. And here's what he said in verse 29. Then he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, let it be unto you. If he spoke those words to us tonight, according to your faith, let it be done unto you. How much of us would, how many of us would have the strength to even get up and move out of here? Huh? I trust that's not the case. Be encouraged. We have a God who is able to do anything, and he will do so for his honor and glory. Unto him be riches and power and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Shall we close with a word of prayer? Our Father, how thankful we are when we just consider the greatness of your person, the wonder of your Son who came into this world and showed the great power by his wonders that he accomplished and performed. Because of these things and the assurance of your word, we have no doubt whatsoever that he is able. Help us, Father, nothing doubting, to look to you for every need we have and to be encouraged and confident in faith to make our request known unto you. Father, we pray that you would continue to bless greatly this assembly and the testimony that they have for your glory and honor, we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Unto him who had one.